0: Welcome to CEO Interviews, a production of Gorecom in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives about what's going on at their companies. And there's a lot going on at Peak FinTech. We've got Johnson Joseph on, he's the CEO. The company trades on the CSC under the stock symbol PKK. And for friends of the US on the OTCQX under PKKFF. But this is probably gonna be the last interview we do if all things go well with those stock symbols and, and those stock exchanges. For those of you new to the story, Here's how you understand peak FinTech and you got to understand them because they're hitting big numbers and they're going to the NASDAQ. How do you connect over hundred million small businesses in China who need access to credit with over 10,000 banks and lending institutions that all have their own unique lending criteria? Answer is, it's not simple, it's a major problem and it leads to great inefficiencies between companies and looking for lenders, lenders looking for companies And usually drives it's driven by regional and local relationships. Well, peak fintech uses an AI powered platform to automate the entire process, making the Chinese commercial lending system more efficient for small business lenders who can now go beyond those local regional relationships to connect with bankers anywhere and and lenders anywhere in the country. Uh, This saves significant time in the process. For both sides and lets lenders increase their volumes simultaneously, reducing their risk. Now, sounds like a lot of talk, more than just lip service. The company's helped facilitate a, over $2.2 billion uh, worth of transactions since 2018. Recently closed oversubscribed private placement, 52.6 million. Revenue for 2020 was 42.7 million, but revenue for Q1 is 14.2, up 260%. But the big thing is the guidance. By 2023, the company expects to be doing $625 million in revenue with really healthy, healthy EBITDA and a really healthy net income number. Johnson, welcome back.
1: Thanks, George. It's been a while, it's been too long. Very happy to be here. Hey,
0: you know, we've been trying to get you, but you're, you're too busy You know, growing a company that's busting revenue, setting record revenues and get of the NASDAQ and by the way, uh, an oversubscribed financing of over $50 million. So we can't blame you, we can't blame you, but glad to, glad to have you. Before we get into some of the details, I wanna to talk to you about some of the things. How good are you feeling about peak FinTech today and how it's positioned in terms of the operating side and the capital market side?
1: Uh, George, we couldn't be in a better place. I mean, you just mentioned the, uh, the, the financing that we just closed that was the catalyst to a lot of things for us. Now, um, I know that um, our investors and the market had been waiting for a while for us to put out our guidance, but uh, when we announced the, the, um, the, uh, the financing that we wanted to do originally back in March, we said we wanted to do $15 million, right? So $15 million was going to take us, you know, to, to a certain level, you know, we'd, be, we'd get a little bit down the road or whatever, and maybe we'd have to do another financing down the line. But listen, uh, when, when, when the news came out and, you know, phones started ringing, emails, all these messages started to come in and we had over 20, we had between 20 and 25 million, like and just in, and requests from existing investors on the president's list, we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. Let's 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 revisit this whole like you know 15 million thing. And then like one thing led to another. Uh, we spoke to Research Capital. They also had orders. So we're like, okay, you know what? We can't do just 15 millions. We kept increasing. We went to um, we went to 25, 30, 40, and finally we stopped it at 50 million. But uh, we, we probably could have done more, but uh, we wanted to make sure that we didn't dilute the company too much at the market cap that it had at the time, right? So we said, okay, we'll stop at 50. But what that did was it opened um, so many other opportunities for us in terms of growth, acceler- accelerated growth. So that's why it took us a little bit longer to come up with our guidance, but eventually we came out with the numbers and that's what they are.
0: Look, I don't think anyone's gonna complain. If you took longer to close and oversubscribe financing three and a half times oversubscribed, which is unbelievable. And you could add more. You just chose to stop there. What does that say about the appetite and the validation in terms of capital markets for peak fintech and how the big invest in, investors are, are looking at your, at your business model?
1: Yeah. You know what you mentioned off the top, George, that uh, we're forecasting over 600 million in revenue three years from now. Um, obviously the company's got a lot of room to grow, right? So we're just talking like, and, 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 and by the way, the numbers that we um, that we put out with our forecast, that's just the Chinese market, right? Because right now we currently operate exclusively in China. And uh, it's well known that we have plans to come to North America eventually, hopefully by the end of this year and uh, eventually other markets, Europe or whatever, right? So you're looking at a business model that has tremendous growth potential, right? So. Um, we just did a $50 million raise, but what our investors need to understand is that when you have a company with such potential, uh, global potential, once you get institutional investors involved and they understand where you're going, what your business plan is, then you could be looking at, you know, doing raises in the future in the triple digits, hundreds of millions of dollars. But then you're talking about not just revenue and, you know, you're, you're not just talking about 600 million in revenue, but you could be talking like with the bees, you know, like billion dollars of revenue that that, that's the kind of potential that this company has. I know right now, um, the people that, that, that have followed peak, uh, for years, right? Like we were a penny stock company on the CSE trading at two, two and a half cents or whatever, barely generating any revenue market cap of five to $10 million. And now all of a sudden fast forward a couple of years later, and here's a CEO talking about billion dollar potential revenue, that kind of stuff. But that's what the business model is. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions in terms of um, how confident am I with, you know, the forecast that we put out hundred million this year, it's a big jump still from 40, 40 million last year, 42 million, whatever, 2020, we're talking about going to 100 million this year it's a big jump
0: yep. how confident and then 305 million, million next year would even a bigger jump that's almost exactly
1: a exactly right so so people are, are like okay well how confident how, can we really believe this I think what's what's important for people to understand is that yes when we came out with the uh, with the lending hub concept we're targeting small micro businesses and you know they, they, they may need five ten twenty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars from time to time. Uh, and, and that's how we thought, you know, we were going to grow our business. You know, they need to replenish their inventory or they need to grow their business. They need, you know, to, uh, I don't know, make renovations or whatever. Right. But what, what's happening right now is that, uh, signing deals with companies like, uh, Shang, the steel company, this is something that we announced, uh, I think, uh, back in December, right? So these are huge companies, Shinshine and Cofco is, uh, they're the largest uh, food processing company in all of China, probably in all of Asia and pro- most likely in... in and that's uh, saying
0: something. That's they're, they're, they're one of the biggest, biggest food processor in Canada. It's another one to be the biggest food processor in China.
1: In China. let's they're, say they're one of the biggest in all of the world, George, yeah. right? So, so we're dealing right now with distributors who work directly with those companies. And what's happening is that those distributors, right, they buy from Kofco on a regular basis. I mean, they've been doing business with, with Costco for years, right? So there's history. So we can go, uh, they're, they're now clients of the lending hub, right? So we've been doing a lot of business with these, with these distributors. And listen, rice, oil, anything that is consumed in China, really, most you know, most of the food that is consumed in China is somehow linked with Costco, right? So we're dealing with distributors that essentially feed China, right? So they're buying stuff all the time, George, right? So they they need to they need they need cash, right? So they. They have cash flow issues, and what we're doing is we're helping solve their cash flow problems. So when we go with, to these clients and we say, "Okay, you know what? Show us your numbers. Okay, these, this is how much you did last year, two years ago. What are you forecasting next year, and how much do you think you're going to need from us? You know, from our services, whatever." This is why we're, we can confidently. Predict. We look at the numbers and the forecast and we say, well, if these clients are doing so much, this is how much they're going to need from us. It's very easy for us to, to forecast our numbers and to have confidence in our numbers, because they're not based on just future expectations. They're based on history of our clients.
0: And these, and these are massive vendors who have been dealing with George Com for the last 30 years. They know their business, they know their ranges, they know their volumes and can easily, I mean, you're, you're solving a major problem because you're allowing the vendor to say, Hey, I've known George Com for 28 years. They're a solid business. They do $3.2 million in business with us a year. And there are thousands of companies like that. So you're allowing them just to, just to make those relationships even better. Right. And there's no doubt that you've got a real solid basis for these, for this financial guidance. This isn't just you pulling numbers out of a hat and saying, absolutely. Yeah. Double, triple, double. Yeah. That sounds good. Let's slap it on a piece of paper. I All think right. you've actually under promised. Uh, my you, my you,
1: gut is you've you, under promised so you can overperform on this. You know what? I think, I think George, uh, that this, I, I believe that this is what the market is thinking. Like, I mean, we're pulling numbers out of thin air and stuff like that. But if you go back to the history of the company, like, you know, since yeah. we, we, we switched to this business model uh, 2019, like 2018, 2019, 2020, we've always made our numbers and we will continue to make our numbers. We, we know exactly where we're
0: I mean, well, look, your Q1 was a 260% gain over Q1 last year. Yeah, and, and that's $14 million. That's not 260% growth on 50,000. Right. The $14 million plus, that's 206% growth. That's, a, that's incredibly difficult too. As a founder, as a business guy, that's not an easy thing to do uh, when you're talking at the millions. So uh, seeing that growth going forward, no, I, I don't see that as numbers being pulled out. of. Out of. Question for you. How much of that do you think is too early to know? How much is that going to come from organic growth versus MA potentially? Or, you know, what, what does that look like?
1: You know what? Most of it will come from organic growth, believe it or not. Okay. But there are going to be some uh, strategic uh, acquisitions sprinkled uh, here and there. Um, there are going to be announcements. There should be announcements coming up uh, in the next, I would say, two to three months. Uh, more strategic, but also um, uh, acquisition that will bring clients and new, new revenue streams to the company as well.
0: How powerful I mean there's no way for us to assess it us the investors at home there's no way to us to assess the platform other than to see major partnerships and transactions and revenue going through the platform but when you keep you know when you, when you say things like next two three months you expect to see even more announcements are right, is there anybody in the world that doesn't know about the peak fintech lending platform uh, and isn't doesn't want to potentially do business with you?
1: um well you know what in, in China right now we're starting to as you know we're starting to make a name for ourselves right you know some of the uh some of the uh, an- announcements that we made I mean talking to uh companies like uh UnionPay well not directly with UnionPay but a subsidiary of UnionPay so obviously they're aware of us as well so uh more and more now uh we're getting to be known in China so um there is potential there's a lot of potential for growth in China but we're also looking at coming to North America, right? Like, I mean, expanding our services. We can talk a little bit about that later, but uh, uh, initially, yes, you know, we're an unknown company, right? So who are you guys and what do you do? Can I trust you? We, we're, we're slowly gaining the trust of people and some of the partnerships that we've made uh, over the past couple of months have certainly made things easier for us. So yes, more and more people are, are, are willing to, uh, to do business with
0: us. In and my personal experience has proven to me with other small caps, clients of Agoracom that have gone to the NASDAQ, that going to the NASDAQ, unbelievable. Like the, the most recent one and our good friend Sheldon Wintosh is invested in that company as well is An esports company last year that went onto the NASDAQ. And it's amazing how their biz dev just blew up literally the day after literally the day after they list on the NASDAQ because it just provides big customers. Again, not now George going back to GeorgeCom. You know, GeorgeCom may have wanted to do business with Peak FinTech, but you're right. It says, Hey, I'm not sure. They're in Canada, they're on the small stock exchange. Sounds like a great company. Not sure if I want to do business with them though. They hear you on the Nasdaq and it just Eliminates all of that and you start getting phone calls. Do you get the feeling that the NASDAQ listing is going to help not just the capital market side, but the biz dev side as well, because you now you're you, you have that attached to your name,
1: absolutely, absolutely, George. That's an excellent point that you bring. You know, most of the people will focus on capital markets, NASDAQ, you get that visibility, but yes, you, you're absolutely right. Listen, the, the the Canadian Securities Exchange has been great for us, and sure. I, I, I love those guys. You know, um, they, they truly are the uh, the exchange for the entrepreneurs. You know, I, I have nothing but great things to say about them, but unfortunately, in China, nobody knows what the Canadian security exchange is. And I don't even believe that they can access the website from, from China, but everybody knows NASDAQ, right? So, so when you, when you basically go and uh, for business development purposes, right, you know, so they want to know who you are, you're trying to make a deal, you tell them about your services, your company and everything else. And obviously they dig into the company, but when you tell them, Hey, you know what, we are an international company. We're listed on the Nasdaq Exchange, boom. You know that that resonates with people. You know, yeah, because so you I, can
0: lose your job by doing business with the wrong company. If I'm right, the, right. If I work for a union, a China Union payer or some big company, say I don't know who Peak FinTech is. I don't want to take a chance because if we have a problem, I'm going to lose my job. Now you don't lose your job when you do a deal with a Nasdaq company. No, you look get, at your boss you and, get and get say, promoted. "Hey, on the Nasdaq. They're fu- they're fully funded. Yeah, you know, and and that eliminates all that risk."
1: No, it, do, it does. Like, I mean, that will definitely benefit us uh, from a business development standpoint, even in China. Getting on the NASDAQ is going to open a lot of doors for us, definitely.
0: So let's talk about that. What do the remaining steps look like? I know you can't give us precise. Uh, maybe a lot of people want to say, give me the date, but it's not up to you because the SEC is involved, the NASDAQ is involved, lawyers. You know, they got. I've been through it. So what do the remaining steps ballpark, if you can give everyone generalization of the remaining steps, and maybe a general ETA of when you think you'll be uh, you'll be
1: uplisted. Sure, absolutely. Listen, uh, one of the most important things, well, essentially the last box to check off was the minimum stock price. And uh, our consolidation happened yesterday. There was a bit of a glitch, unfortunately, like when the stock didn't trade yesterday, but it traded today and it needed to trade at uh, $4 US or above. And I believe today, I think we closed at, I don't know. I don't look at the stock price, but I think we closed at uh, four dollars and ten or something like that. Four ten. Yeah, I didn't look at it US. either. You no, know, but on the, the important thing was on the U.S. side. I think we closed at four ten or something like that, or four fifteen U.S. But the important thing is that we closed a, above four dollars U.S. That was the last thing remaining for us. Now we can complete our application. What our lawyers are doing right now is um, they're requesting the final uh, reports from Broadridge in terms of number of shares and that kind of stuff. So once we get that report, uh, we expect to get it either before the end of this week or early next week. Uh, Once we have that report, then uh, our lawyers are going to be able to finalize our Form 40F, which they will submit to the NASDAQ, along with telling the NASDAQ that we've met the minimum um, stock price requirement. So the NASDAQ will complete the review. I think it's going to take, hopefully, like, I mean, if they're not too busy, we're looking at... uh, uh, two to three days uh, for them to complete their review. So just just working backwards. If we get if we get the Broadbridge report early next week. It takes our lawyers um, two three days to finalize the uh, the Form 40F, complete everything. They submit that to the Nasdaq. It takes them another two to three days. So that puts us the following week. The Nasdaq will then issue a letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission saying that, hey, you know what? We've approved Peak for uh, for listing. And then the FCC will just kind of like, I don't want to say rubber stamp sign off, but uh, uh, through the MJDS process. Well, no. Uh, through the, uh, uh, um, I forget the, the exact term, but- Yeah, uh, uh, don't worry
0: about the exact term, but they, they talk to each other, they, exactly. they-
1: Once the NASDAQ basically issues that letter, and my understanding, it's just like a one page letter. Once they issue that letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission, then it's just a matter of determining what day uh, you begin trading. So realistically, we're looking at probably two, maybe three weeks, I would say, uh, before we uh, we begin trading. All
0: right, that's a little quicker than I thought. I thought maybe it was uh, going to the first week of August next week. Maybe we'd be somewhere around the end of August, first couple of weeks of September. But if you could do it faster, by no, I,
1: I, I definitely think it will be before the end of August.
0: All right, so we're gonna, so we're gonna be back on again with a brand, with a brand new background, brand, new, brand new stock symbols. Hey, Looking by the way, what do, you, once you're listed there, what kind of investor marketing do you, do you guys have some investor marketing plans laid out? Because obviously, you want to start attracting U.S. investors who otherwise aren't able to invest in you today on the CSE. And are you guys getting any kind of early feedback? Sometimes you do, you know, because I know some companies have gotten phone calls saying, hey, let us know when you're on because we'd like your business and we want to start accumulating position in your company. Yeah,
1: yeah we, we, we have gotten some, uh, some early feedback. I mean, we're working with uh, the bank, I think, I mean, like i don't want to say the cat's out of the bag but uh it was i wasn't aware but it was fully disclosed in our prospectus that that we are working on the u.s side with uh, the benchmark company so um we're also working with uh, the mz group which is a very good uh relations firm yep, um out you know of the them. u.s yeah okay? so um these guys are going to be taking care of uh, all of our invest relations uh, marketing planning that kind of stuff so between between the the um, the benchmark group and what we're doing with mz group uh, we have also a full time uh, director of marketing and communications, Barry Ellison, who's been working. He's been fantastic. He's working with our folks at uh, yeah. uh, CHF Capital Markets with the MZ Group. So I'm letting them handle all that stuff, but uh, things are in the works.
0: And by the way, I forgot to say this earlier. Yeah, we, 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 we've been talking to CHF, we've been talking to Barry. Uh, I'm also an investor in the private placement. I want to make sure that's kind of full disclosure uh for everybody so uh, for you, you know, George. i forgot to mention that earlier and i just want to make sure i mentioned that at the same time uh playing devil's advocate for a second because not everything is always 100 percent. there's no business that has everything smooth going on recent you know there, there have been some recent chinese regulations that have been that have been affecting tech companies mm. uh you know we know that there's been impact and uh, an impact on alibaba there's some concern that apple may have some may have some issues over there how, is that something in any way, shape or form that could impact peak and is that something that shareholders should be, I don't want to say worried about, is that something that should be, you know, they should be cognizant of?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, th- those are very, very good points. Uh, we are a company operating uh, right now exclusively in China, but uh, uh, there is a big di- distinction, obviously, between us and some of the, co- the, um, the companies and the regulations. Um, that are affecting those companies. The number one thing I want to point out is the fact that we are not a Chinese company. That's number one, right? So those companies that are, um, I, I don't want to say uh, their US listings are being threatened right now, but some investors are very nervous, you know, uh, in terms of... Uh, 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 I don't want to say Alibaba is going to lose their, their their U.S. listing or anything like that, but it's becoming increasingly difficult for tech companies to list on U.S. exchanges, right? So Chinese tech companies, tech, Chinese tech companies, yeah, right? So this is impacting companies that are domiciled in China. Exactly. If they are domiciled in China, then their principal regulators are Chinese, right? So it's the those regulators that tell them what they can and cannot. That's not the case for PEAK. The principal regulators of PEAK are the Quebec regulators, right? So they're the ones that just approved their prospectus offering. So that's the number one distinction. So we're not impacted by the regulators in China. The second thing is what the government is doing in China is they're looking to protect the personal information of their private citizens. A lot of those companies, they have apps, they have all these things, and uh, they collect information on the consumers without necessarily their knowledge, right? And what they do that with that information? That's what the government is looking into right now. So us, we are not a consumer platform. We do not deal with consumers. We're a B two B platform. We deal strictly with businesses, and uh, um, so we, we we don't have to worry about that. Now, the other thing that the government is trying to pre- uh, uh, prevent on the lending side is that lend excuse me credit has been too easily available to consumers. With all of these platforms, there were P2P platforms, and a lot of consumers were getting in over their heads, drowning in debt, and it was leading to some really tragic situations, right? So the government had to step in. There was no regulations. People were borrowing money at uh, 20, 25% interest rates. It was crazy, George, and they couldn't pay it back. And they were basically, again, uh, I don't want to get into the details, but government needed to step it so the government did step it so uh, i can't fault the government at all for what they're doing i think they're doing the same thing but none of these things impact us because again we're not a consumer platform we don't collect personal information or b2b and we're helping businesses right so the government also realizes george that businesses small businesses particularly are the backbone of the economy right so they recognize what we're doing listen um, there is no way. The, the, the relationship that we have with Rongbang, which is owned by China UnionPay, which is a state-owned entity. So obviously, the government is aware of us. They have looked into our operations. They know what we're doing. And instead of trying to prevent us or whatever, making things difficult for us, they're actually cooperating with us, you know. so to
0: facilitate you guys getting bigger.
1: Exactly. You know, they're working, they're working with us, you know, and we're working with them. So uh, the issues right now that are impacting those tech companies do not impact us at all.
0: all. Right. Well, I'm really glad you had a chance to clear that up because there is some misconception around that want to take that right off. Just want to take that right off the table. Let's talk about growth really quickly for the last few minutes here. Mm. Two kinds of growth. One is going to be organic, organic uh, into North America by North America expansion. And the other one's going to be m and uh, which one do you wanna talk about first? You wanna talk about organic into North, North America or some m- M&A with John Kay and Cubler?
1: Well, they kind of like uh, merge or blur into the same thing, okay. right? Because because and a m yes. You know, Cubler, um, the Kubler transaction I know has been on the minds of a lot of our investors and the market itself. Uh, people wanna know what's going on. Um, all I'm going to say is that uh, things, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, for the transaction. We have a framework right now. We had a very good working session at the board level uh, at PEAK discussing um, the, the deal itself, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the terms of a potential deal. So the Kubler uh, uh, directors are also uh, aware of what's going on. We're very, very close, George, from making an announcement that we have reached something uh, um, between PEAK and Kubler. So I would expect right. an announcement to be made uh, more than likely by the, before the end of August, I would expect an official announcement to be made That'll be great. Uh, for, for that transaction. Now, uh, once that is done, obviously that's what paves the way for our expansion into North America, right? So, um, we're very excited about the North American market. Yes. You know, the, 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 the Chinese market is huge. We're talking about 110 plus million small and micro businesses that can use our service, but the North American market is very, very attractive for us as well. There is a data element that we're going to introduce uh, that's going to uh, create a new revenue stream for the company. Uh, We're very excited about that. And uh, um, in terms of revenue, we have not yet. We don't have enough visibility. I mean, Kubler's got their own forecast, right? It's, it's a private company. So I think it's very important for people to understand that the forecast that we put out um, earlier this month, or uh, when did we put out our forecast? Is it June or this? Anyway, what the, the, the forecast that we put out uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, those uh, forecasts... July twentieth, I think you put. July twentieth, okay, all right. So those forecasts do not include anything about North America, right? So um, once we get into North America, once we have more visibility into Kubler's operations and what Kubler's forecasting in terms of revenue uh, with the acquisition, then we will have to revise those forecasts to account for the fact that now uh, Peak and Kubler are now um, a merged entity. So. There will be revised forecasts, but uh, at the top of the um, the show, George, we we're talking about like you know, are the forecasts you think too aggressive or whatever? Like, are you are you confident? We will likely revise the forecast, but it, it won't be down. Like, I mean, it won't be revised downwards. It'll probably be revised upwards once we have more visibility into Cuba. Man,
0: it's really amazing to be sitting here talking today about you know six 600- hundred and $620 million in revenue as guidance and potentially going into the B's, right? (laughs) It's going to the billions considering where you started uh, and you know, how you shifted gears a couple of years ago, but that is what's so great about technology companies today. We've said this, it's been a central thesis of Agoracom that, that uh, technology small cap companies are going to create more wealth. Small cap technology companies are going to create more wealth this decade than the last three decades combined, because AI that you wouldn't have had access to 10 years ago, uh, maybe even five years ago. Uh, you just, you wouldn't have had it or, or you would have had to pay tens of millions of dollars for it just would have been impractical. Now you have the opportunity to integrate into your business, license it, acquire it, do all the things you want to do and create and, and compete with anybody. So it's amazing to watch. and And I don't doubt that you guys are going to be able to Get to those numbers and maybe even maybe even um, uh, exceed them based on your forecasted new forecasted guidance after Cubular. But how do you want to? There's so much more to, to talk about. But how do you want to end this interview? What do you want your shareholders to know beyond the obvious about things going great? You're oversubscribed. Find it. Your your balance sheet's fantastic. Your income your your balance your income statement's fantastic. What what else do you want shareholders to know as we wind up into into your Nasdaq listing?
1: Honestly, George, uh, I would tell our shareholders basically just, just, just enjoy the ride with us. Like, I mean, we're having a lot of fun here. The future is bright in this company. Uh, you know, there, there are doubters out there. There are always going to be doubters or whatever. So I, I I know the numbers look like, you know, like some people are saying they look ridiculous or whatever, but you know what? Like we, we stand by our numbers and just enjoy the ride with us as we come out with our numbers quarter after quarter. I mean, everybody will see that, you know, what we've been talking about is real and it's just going to be a lot of fun. We expect to have a lot of fun here executing our business plan. We have a great team, uh, great support right now. We're looking to expand into these different regions of the world. And again, just enjoy the ride. We certainly are.
0: Well, look, you're not the first small cap explosive growth company to have some doubters along the way. Just just, Just ask Jeff Bezos, just ask Elon Musk, you know, there are a lot of doubters along the way as well. And look to look where they've gotten to. So uh, I wouldn't worry about the doubters. I think you got more. I think you got got several multiple more followers and, and, you know, fans out there. And we're one of them. Congratulations on where you gotten to today. Just the numbers today are fantastic. And uh, can't wait to speak to you. looks like once, maybe twice in August. And I uh, can't wait.
1: Looking forward to it, George. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot yeah. of fun, man.
0: Always, JJ. Always. Okay. Everybody at home, you've
1: been watching
0: or you've been listened by podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, your favorite podcast platform, to Johnson Joseph to Johnson Joseph, CEO of Peak FinTech Group, for now trades on the CSC and the stock symbol PKK, and for now trades on the OTCQX under PKKFF. For those who are new to the story, because you're seeing a lot of these headlines, and especially if you saw that guidance that came out earlier this month, and probably wondering. Who are these guys? Two ways to do your due diligence. First, get to the Agoracom profile for Peak peak Fintech. We know there's a lot going on here. It's a different kind of business model. So we've got it all laid out for you in layman's terms to really get that 10,000 foot view of the company. And then to do your deep dive due diligence. You can see it right above JJ, peakfintechgroup.com or you can link there from Agoracom to do your deep dive. They're on their way to NASDAQ. They just got $52 million in funding, oversubscribed. There are a lot of people who have confidence in the company. You have to make your decisions as to how much confidence you have in them. Just don't tell us 12 months from now, we didn't tell you so. Have a great day. See you next time. Hey guys, this video is over, but don't forget to help your company by liking it and even leaving a comment below. And then don't forget to help yourself by subscribing to our channel and never missing another great Agoracom small cap video.